Well, it's great to be here. Many of you might not know, um, I live in Transylvania in the middle of Romania. I think that's pretty cool. I have a, I have a bank card that says Banker Transylvania. So I'm sure no one else here has that, but I like that. It's, it's good to be here. I don't know, is it okay if I'm like really up close and personal with you? Yeah? yeah? I know, when I, when I came this morning, I just felt like there's been some kind of disappointment that you've been through as a church or maybe as individuals, but some kind of disappointment and it's, it's been wearing you down and like you've been wanting to go forward, like you've been wanting to hear from God, you've been wanting to believe God for great things that you know you're destined for, but it's like your hope's been trickling. It's like, you know, sometimes you don't even know if you still believe that he's got great things for you anymore. But I want to tell you God has great things for you. Even when it feels like, you know, there's nothing there and you're just barely hanging on, God has great things for you. He has great dreams for you and he has great dreams for this church. So I really want to encourage you. Like I don't know what you've been through, but it feels like you've been through something. And, um, and God has great things for you. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up on yourselves because God hasn't given up on you. So I hope, I hope that speaks to you. There was a verse that I really wanted to talk to you about. Um, and, you know, it's like it's kind of funny because it feels like God's been preaching the message I was going to preach already, like all through the service. And I love it when God does that. But there's this verse, like just when we were praying, I felt like I've got to share this verse with you. And it's um, from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 and onwards. It says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, you just felt like nothing. But, and you've always got to have a but when it comes to God. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And this is where I feel like God's been preaching the message already because then it goes on and says, he, he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, but then he chose the things that are not, the things in that unseen realm to nullify the things that are. So God wants to do something with you. He wants to take what you feel like you're not and project you into the thing that he has not yet for you, if that makes sense. He has something for you and it's not here yet. Maybe you can't see it yet. Maybe you can sense it a little bit, but it's coming. And God wants you to live in that not yet space. He wants you to live in the things that are not. This, this verse has, has meant a lot to me. Obviously, I live in Transylvania. I've told you that already. But I grew up in this area. I grew up, I went to Druin High School in Druin and I went to Hallam High School in Hallam. My first job was at Fountain Gate. <laughs> so, you know, like I'm from here. <laughs> and, you know, I, I grew up with all the same insecurities that you have. And so how does someone that grows up with all those same insecurities from the same place end up in Transylvania fighting human trafficking. And I, and I can remember like feeling like God was calling me into something and feeling like I'm not good enough and feeling like I can't do it. And that, that verse really spoke to me because when it, talked about, when it talked about not being influential, when it talked about not being of noble birth, when it talked about foolish things, I felt like that was me. I felt like I was all those things. But God wanted to choose the things that are not. He wanted, he wanted me to believe in what he was saying. And he wanted me to believe and walk on a walk of faith and walk somewhere in this not yet space, walk somewhere in this place of things that he's called into being like you were saying this morning. He wants to, to work in that space of what you might believe in, the things that he has spoken into being, but they're not here yet. And somehow in that, in that journey, he wants to change what we see to see what he sees. You know, he hasn't called us to live just like in this 
this space of this world. He's called us to live in a spiritual world and he has things that he wants us to see. So that, that's what my message is about this morning and, and I think it just seems like it's really important for you to hear that today, that God has good things for you and that he has hope for you and he just wants to change the way you see it. Because, you know, we've all been been in that journey. It's easy to say, yep, we all do these great things and, you know, I get to be this missionary and do all this. But I know, you know, it's step by step and it's bit by bit and it's just hearing God and being being brave enough to follow what he says, even when you don't feel brave. So a little bit about me. I am a missionary and I run an organisation called Abolition in Romania. And um, I think before I moved to Romania, I didn't know where it was on the map. So how I ended up there is very strange. But yeah, I started an organisation called Abolition there. Um, We fight human trafficking. It's been going for four years. And I know um, this church has been an amazing support. It's just amazing to come here and hear all these people saying, yep, yep, we're coming to to an event. We've got an event on May 5th and we had one two years ago. And we were able to raise $9,000 for a shelter, which um, I've got a video to show you a little bit of what a lot of you have already been a part of doing. get to meet the girls and you get to see how brave they are you can't help but do everything in your power to help them I've personally met girls who have been sold by their mother their own mother into prostitution I've met girls that have been forced by their boyfriend into sex work and I've met children that have been forced into pornography it just makes you want to do everything you can to help them In 2015, 880 people were trafficked in Romania, and those are just the ones we know about. Imagine a whole high school gone missing. We wanted to create a shelter that would be a home for girls that don't have a safe place to live. We wanted it to be a place where they could feel safe, a place where they could feel accepted and a place where they could feel valued. And we want it to be a place where they can learn the life skills that they need to live an independent life. It's so amazing to see how brave the girls are and how much they have overcome. Spending time with the girls at the shelter shows me what an impact has an hour of painting or having a good meal, just showing someone else that you love them. They're all worth of the extra effort. Seeing them, seeing how brave they are, how strong, bent but not broken. Because we work with girls that are able to stay with their families as well as those in the shelters, we've created a separate training centre that is all about building them a great future. At this centre we teach them skills, life skills as well as work skills and we really work with them to find out what they're talented at and help them to find work in that area. We are currently looking at business opportunities for the girls where we can create more jobs for them because This is one of the most important steps in their lives. We recently did an art and soul course uh, with the girls and it was great to see them smiling as they learned how to paint. And then what was amazing was to see them get into this place called flow where they just spent their time just concentrating on painting and it was like all the stuff they had been through, everything that had happened to them was gone for those moments and they could just concentrate on painting. It was just great to see them in that place of peace. One of the girls painted a mask with a monster on the outside because this is how she thinks people see her. On the inside of the mask she just painted all grey because she felt that there was nothing inside her life. One of the girls never held a paintbrush in her hand before. But after the first day, wow, you should have seen her. She wouldn't stop painting. She said that she wants to paint all day long.
seeing them fighting each day for a better future, helping them rebuild their lives. That's the true beauty, reason from ashes. So that's what you've been part of making happen. It's not just me out there doing it, it's people like you and me all getting together and making things like that happen. So, yeah, so abolition started four years ago. Um, we work in, in different areas of work. So we have the Restore Home where we look after survivor care and we've just created a business um, where the girls are making laptop covers. So when girls are able, when they come to the to stay in the shelter, they're able to get a job straight away, which helps them to feel in control of their life. It helps them to, to, to live a life and just to feel in control. When you've come from a space of slavery where you have no ability to choose for yourself, it's really important to give them as many choices as they can. Uh, it's important to give them as many choices as they can to help them restore. So um, that that's really important. So we work in, in that area. Um, and actually the girls uh, were busy. I, I just arrived on Friday and on Wednesday they were just finishing off making some laptop covers to sell. So they're, they're over there if you're interested in buying one. But that, that really keeps them in a job. So we do, we do other areas of work in abolition as well. We also do raising awareness. A lot of people in Australia know about human trafficking, but over in Europe a lot of people don't know. They all think it happens somewhere other than where they are. But the problem is in Europe, uh, particularly in Romania, that's where a lot of people are being trafficked from. So we make sure that, that people know that trafficking happens where it's actually happening. So we've, we've got a 30-day um, a course that we have for um, people to learn about human trafficking and we have that in seven languages now because we find there's lots of resources in Europe available in English but not available in the languages that people actually speak. So we put the resources in those languages. We uh, also do professional training. So I remember um, I was talking to some social workers about raising awareness in the community about human trafficking and they were telling me, but we don't even know about it. And I'm like, don't they teach you in university about human trafficking? And they're like, no, no, we've never heard of it. And I'm like, okay. So then we decided to do training with social workers. So we work with the government and we get all the, all the social workers in from the villages where people live and we get them in and we teach them about human trafficking so then they can run prevention programs in their communities. We also do capacity building where we work with the government. So a couple of years ago we had a summit with the whole anti-trafficking department in the government and we had all the chief of police from around the country in the same room, judges, um, lawyers in the same room and looked at where the, um, the gaps in the systems were, where people were... Uh, falling through the gaps and we were able to rewrite the national referral mechanism which impacts every survivor in the country. So um, we've had some really good opportunities but just on Wednesday I just signed a document to um, have a partnership with the government and what we're going to do is we're going to run a online training program in all the secondary schools in the country to teach them about human trafficking and how they might be trafficked because a lot of people get trafficked from Romania so we want to teach all the students about that. So we've negotiated to do that on a national scale throughout the entire country so I'm pretty excited about that. So it's been amazing what we've been able to get to do but the most amazing thing has been um, talking to the girls and seeing their journeys that story in the video about the girl with the mask, um, she really had no value to her life whatsoever. Like she gave no value to herself. So she had a job and when she was getting the job, she was, she was getting her pay and every day when she got her pay or every month when she got it, she would go to the park, meet these girls in the park and they would bully her and they would say they knew what day she got paid and they said, we need your money. And she would just give them all her money because she just didn't care about what happened in her life. She's like, I don't care if I live or die. And that's, that's what happens sometimes. Like you've, 
when people have been trafficked, it's horrendous and they've got to rebuild their self, self-worth and everything. And, like, just the other week there was just a glimmer of hope in that she decided, you know, I want to keep my money like I am worth something. And she, she wasn't sure how to go about keeping her money because she felt pressured by these girls. So she came into our office and said, can you guys mind my money for me? and then I'll come back, which we were celebrating so much because that was just a huge step for her. And it was her own idea what she came up with, how she could help herself. We were celebrating and jumping up and down. We were like, that is a huge step for someone that cared nothing about their lives to suddenly switch from wanting, from wanting nothing for themselves to wanting something for themselves. It was just that little glimmer of hope coming through. And we just had a new girl arrive at our shelter just a couple of weeks ago, we had people staying with her 24-7 for the first few days um, just so she would feel safe because she had to escape from where she was because her husband was trafficking her. You know, it was just great to hear her say, I feel safe, like I feel safe. And she started going to church. We asked her, do you want to come to church? You don't have to if you don't want to, but would you like to come? And she goes, and she says, yes, I'd love to come. And she's been going ever since. So that's, that's really cool, like just seeing how God moves in people's lives and how, how he changes people's lives. But these girls are really amazing. So, so my, my journey in all this has been an interesting one. I feel like you guys are on a journey as well. And I hope, I hope my story about how I went from Hallam High School to living in Transylvania encourages you because I think, you know, none of us are anyone special. We're just all special when we're putting ourselves in God's hands and God can do great things through us if we, if we choose to let him. So, yeah, my story is I, I got saved when I was 21. Like I didn't grow up in a Christian family at all. It was my friend at high school in Hallam that um, invited me to church. And I went to church for a while, but I didn't, I didn't kind of get it. I kind of thought I was already a Christian because I was going to church. But um, it, took a, it took a couple of years for me to actually get that, oh, I need to give my life to God. And that's how I become a Christian. Like it was just, I just didn't get it. Yeah, and then one day I did get it and I remember coming home from church I had a friend from uni that invited me for church so you know keep in where's that girl uh keep inviting your friends to church like and keep talking to your friends at uni because uh it does make a difference in their lives even if it takes them years to get there like keep at it I I went to um to church I had a friend that was there and then at the end of the service, the preacher asked you know if there's anyone that feels like your life is not right with God come up and so I went up and it just felt like everything changed all of a sudden, like my whole perspective of God changed. Like I, It's sort of like in that one second it felt like he wasn't the God with the big stick making me feel bad for my life, but he suddenly changed into a God that loved me. Yeah, and I remember coming home from, uh, from church that day and telling my mum that I'd become a Christian and she's like, oh, okay, don't, don't go overboard with it or anything. That's good. So now I'm a missionary. <laughs> uh, so I think I went overboard with it in every possible way. But how can you not? Like, God is awesome. So, yeah, so I eventually became a youth worker and then I was in IT and then I became a pastor. And um, I was a pastor at Bridge Church in Melbourne for, for seven years. And I can remember... You know, I'd never travelled overseas or anything. Like I, I had never wanted, it was never in my head to travel overseas. And um, I can remember one day I was just praying and I just felt like God was saying, you know, the nations will come looking for you. And I was kind of like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. But it doesn't sound like I have to do anything because they're going to come find me. <laughs> so I just sort of snuck it away in my heart. Yeah, and three months later... My pastor was uh, in my office and asking me, would I be the mission pastor? And I went, well, God's got a pretty good sense of humour. And he's like, why? And I went, so you want me to be a mission pastor? I don't even have a passport. <laughs> um, so I soon got a passport and then, you know, mission, when it gets into you, it really gets into you and grabs a hold of your heart. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been on a mission trip. If you've never been, like, do it. It'll change your life forever. 
um, and change your perspective on how you see the world. So, yeah, so I became the mission pastor. And then, like, this strange thing happened. Like, it was like God started speaking to me again. And I didn't like what he was saying. Do you? Does that ever happen to you? Like, God asks you to do stuff and it's like, nope. <laughs> I, I often start with a no, actually. And then God's graceful enough to give us... Uh, time to argue it out with him, which I like that. <laughs> so he 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 was telling me, I want you to live with less so that others can have more. And like he really meant like live with less so that others could have more. And I felt like then I was living in a nice apartment along the river, along the Yarra in Richmond and I'm like, yeah, this is really nice. And, and God says, no, I want you to live with less so that others can have more. And I kind of knew that meant that I would be moving into something that wasn't so nice. And I kind of felt like, well, I didn't really want to do that. And um, I can remember going to God, not without my furniture. I'm taking my furniture with me. Because, like, I grew up in a home where everything was, like, nice and everything. And, uh, like, I'd worked really hard to get this furniture and God was like, yeah, give it up. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and... You know, eventually after a while, it's like that's the only conversation God wants to have with you. Like, do you ever have that? Sounds like it. <laughs> and it's like that's the only thing. Like, I'm like, God, I love you so much. And he's like, yep, what about the furniture? <laughs> eventually it was like, okay, I, it feels like I'm now making a choice. Do I have my furniture or do I have God in my life? And I decided that God God should be the one in, that wins that argument. Um, so I said, okay. I, I will I will move and everything, just confirm it to me. And I had this book that I felt like God was going to speak to me out, but I was halfway through it and really felt like and like there was, I wasn't getting anything from it. And then um, I went, somehow I just knew I had to go read that book. And then the very next page was the story about someone who God was challenging her to move out of her apartment so that she could live with less so that others could have more. And I'm like okay, maybe you're speaking to me. So I went, I was on holiday, so I put. I told my landlord that I'm moving out and I didn't really know where I was going to. I just felt like I have to, um, I have to do this. And I started looking at other, because I still needed a place to live, so I started looking for other places to live and I couldn't find anything. Like I was looking at places to rent, but I'm like, this doesn't make sense because my furniture goes with me there and it felt like the furniture wasn't meant to come. Yeah, and it got to about a week before I wasn't going to have a place to live anymore. I'm like, God, I need a place to live. And then I felt like God say, I want you to ring these people up and say, can you live with them? And I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, you know, I think I was 35 at the time and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm 35 years old. I don't need to ask people can I come and live with them. But again, there was that argument, well, this is the way it's going to be. So I rang these people up and I hadn't spoken to them for a while and I said, they were like, oh, we haven't heard from you for a while. How are you doing? And I went, well, I'm moving. And they're like, where to? And I went, well, I don't know yet. And they go, do you want to come and live with us? And I'm like, oh, isn't God good that he made that nice and easy? <laughs> They're like, do you want to come and live with us? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and they go, yeah, we've been waiting for a whole month for you to ring. We've had a room ready for you the whole time. And I'm like, God is good in like the simple things that he asks us to do, even when they seem like crazy things. So that wasn't like enough. I felt like living without my furniture would be enough, but God felt like, no, there needed to be more. So then he started challenging me to live without my car. And I'm like, God, I live in Melbourne. You don't not have a car in Melbourne, but the car had to go. And then all my furniture and storage had to go and I had no understanding what all this was about. I just felt like all God was saying was, I want you to live with less so that others could have more. And then he goes, and then the money that you're saving because you're not paying so much rent, I want you to give that to missions. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, this is really hard. And I felt it really hard. Like, it, I, I found it was hitting my value system of who I thought I was because my value system was built on what I had. 
and what I did with my life. And God was going, no, I'm going to unpluck all that away from you and uh, it's just going to be you and me. And I can remember being on a bus going to work and I was a pastor and this is my attitude, right? So I'm on the bus going to work going, I know I should be really happy that there's a family in Africa that are being fed because I'm on this bus and not driving my car. But quite honestly, I would rather have my car. <laughs> like, we all feel this way at times, don't we? We don't talk about it much. But <laughs> but this is how we feel. And that was how I was feeling. And I really felt like God had to do this thing with, with my values about who I was and what I thought about my stuff and what I did. So eventually I was down to pretty much nothing, just a couple of suitcases and I still didn't know, like I was still going to work every day, still pastoring at church every day and still figuring out what 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 is all this about. And then um, I had this trip planned to Europe and I went, well, do I give that up too? Because that seems kind of extravagant to how I'm now living. Like you seem to want to take everything away. You want that too? <laughs> and And I felt God say, no, I want you to go on that. And it was amazing because when I got to Europe, as soon as I came up out of the metro, it was like, oh, I could live here, like straight away, like I wasn't expecting that. And that started a series of me feeling feeling called to Europe and feeling like God wanted me to do something over there. So I came back from that trip and talked to my pastor about it and just said, you know, I feel like God's calling me to Europe, but I don't really know what or where, just Europe. And so then I went on another trip and talked to some people over there and they talked to me about Romania and said, look, we've got this need. We could use someone like you in Romania to help with church planting and help with leadership development and things like that. So I said, well, I didn't really honestly know where Romania was on the map, so I had to look it up. And then I went and checked checked it out and they said, look, could you come over and speak at a youth conference there? So I said, Okay. Before I left, I, I was really travelling to Europe to go and see what God would show me. Like it was like I didn't know what I would find but I felt like God was going to show me something when I went there. And before I left, I remember sitting in church one day and uh, just in the worship and I had this vision. It was kind of like a dream vision, like I didn't see it physically in front of me but I still saw it. And it was this vision of a town in a valley with a chimney stack and this road that sort of went up in front of the in front of the village. And on this road there were hundreds of people, but they were all bent over and depressed and all in black and white, like they had no hope. And then as they walked up the road, they turned into colour like they had hope. And I was like, okay, well, I get that people are having hope, but I don't really know what this means. It's like God's trying to tell me something, but I'm just not getting the full picture yet. When I And so I went to Romania after that and went to see what, what was going on there. And um, I went to speak to this youth conference. And when I got to the hotel we were staying at, I opened the window and there was the town in the valley with the chimney stack and the road that went like that. And I went okay, I think God might be talking to me now. <laughs> and that's when I, um, I I decided, yep, this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to move over here. And then even then I then spent a year just looking and understanding, getting to know people, um, getting to know what were the issues in Europe. And that's when I found out about human trafficking and found out that it was a big issue in Romania and I really wanted to do something that I could just throw my whole life into. Uh, so that's how... I ended up starting abolition after after a year. So I remember spending a year just researching, uh, talking to people, going to conferences, finding out what I could find out about the human trafficking situation because I felt like I knew nothing. I felt like, you know, where do I even start? And I can remember one day going to a shelter and just that that was the day that really clinched it for me. I went to this shelter and there were about 20 girls there. Um, the youngest was 14, the oldest was about 23 and all but one of them had been trafficked and forced into prostitution. And I can remember going there feeling like, you know, I'm nothing, like I don't know what I can do for these people and just sitting in the room and feeling like what, what on earth can I do and I remember feeling 
yeah, I can remember being being in that room and expecting the girls to be really tough and to be really um, be really hard. But I found something completely different. What I found were the girls were super friendly. They were super um, affectionate. Like I had one girl that fell asleep on my shoulder with her arm around my shoulder like I was a teddy bear and she had to fall asleep. And then other girls like 16, 17-year-old girls wanting to play like, you know, the patty cake games, the clapping hand games that six-year-olds play. Um, And it was like they'd all regressed. They'd been so affected. It's like they'd all regressed back in time to a time when things were safe um, and to a time when they when things were nice and, like, in their mind they'd just gone back to that place and just stayed there. That was how they were damaged. And then I spent – there was another girl in the room that was more like what I expected. Like, she was, like, on the first day uh, she was just standing at a wall, like, just rocking back and forth like this, looking at the wall. Uh, and that's how impacted she was. But she really caught my attention. And after um, three days, she would she would just come closer to me and closer to me. And in the end, on the last day, she just came and she came and sat next to me. And she just grabbed my hand and held it for a full hour. Like, not just hold my hand, but, you know, like hold it like it was treasured. And she would hold it and every now and again she would just hold it to my chest, uh, to her chest and like, like this is special to me. Like we didn't speak the same language and we'd just look at each other and our eyes would fill with tears and it was like there was this moment where we connected with one another. But I didn't feel like I had anything to offer her but I did have my hand. And I think sometimes we can feel like God's calling us to things and we can feel like, you know, we're not good enough, we're nothing, like... We're just lowly, but God can see something in us and he knows that we have hands and feet. And if we're just willing to put our lives into where he can use us and put ourselves in those uncomfortable spaces, then then he will use us. And it can be as simple as holding someone's hand would make a difference. Like I knew that day that made a difference to that girl, that someone cared enough about her in all her brokenness to spend an hour holding her hand. But it also impacted me and from that moment on that was what the rest of my life was going to be about. So it wasn't too long after that that I started abolition. So, yeah, so that's how things can happen. But what I want to centre on today is how do you get from that place where God's got an inkling of something, like he's whispering something to you, to it actually happening? Because there's a lot that happens in that process that we don't talk about a lot. Like people say, you know, just have faith and you'll get there. But having faith is tough. Having faith is hard work. If any of you had to believe for something and it's like there's this journey you go on that you go through when you're believing for difficult things and you're believing for big things and believing that you're going to be who God wants you to be. And like there's a journey that you go through in that. I think it's called a journey of faith. But I think sometimes as a church we whittle it down to just positive speaking and you'll get there and positive this and you'll get there. But I think there's a lot more that happens in our internal world in that, that journey that goes from that place. And um, I've, been, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You know, in the Bible it says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's something about faith that is unseen and it's where maybe not everyone else can see it but suddenly your faith has been shifted so you can see it. Maybe not everyone else can but but suddenly you can see it and that's having faith is seeing something that wasn't there before, seeing something that's not here yet but knowing that it's going to come to being. I've I've just been meditating Just this past year on Psalm 23, I mean, it's a psalm we all know, but I think God's just been showing me in this psalm how it's like the story of believing him for something and believing him in faith and stepping out into something that he's got for you that's not here yet. And I think for all of us, he's got something for us that's not here yet. Uh, And sometimes we're willing to believe him for it, other times we're not. But there's a journey that we go on in that. And usually it starts with a moment of panic. God says, 
okay, I see this in you and you're like, no, I don't see that. Like if God had told me, you know, I was going to live in Transylvania, first I would have gone, where's that? And then I would have gone, well, no way, no way can I do that, no way can I go and talk to governments, no way can I set up a shelter, no way can I do those kind of things. But God sees something in us that's not here yet. And if we're willing to believe him uh, and just hang on to that, then we'll get there. So I know in that experience where God was telling me to, to sell my stuff and to, to live with less so that others could have more, that was a faith journey. The only reason I was doing it was because it was something that God told me to do. There was no other logical reason I could figure to do that. It seemed very countercultural to how you live in Australia, like Australia is more about gathering stuff and God was telling me to get rid of stuff. And so for me that was that was a faith walk. Like I really had to look at and you know suddenly you know sometimes you start hearing from God and it starts with like an inkling or a whisper and you catch on to it. But then it suddenly starts getting amplified. It's like everywhere you go, this message happens. Do any of you ever feel like that? It's like this amplification comes. And that's when, when God's talking to us. I know, like I love this book by Margaret Feinberg. It talks, it's called The Sacred Echo. And it's actually a book that talks about how God speaks to us in an echo sometimes. It's just like he keeps speaking to us and speaking to us and speaking to us and it gets louder and louder and louder until we're in a place where we'll hear it and it gets our attention. So that, And that's how God speaks to me, in like an echo. And it starts off with a little whisper and then suddenly I'll catch on to it and then I start hearing it more and more and it's like then it becomes the only thing that the Bible ever seems to talk to me about. It becomes the only thing that the preacher ever speaks about. It's the only thing that comes up on my Facebook feed. Like it's, it's like develops this echo. And I think that's how God speaks to us. For me, I felt like that was God, what God was challenging me to do, to live with less so that others could have more. And it felt crazy to me. And I'm sure like God's asked you to do things before. Maybe he's asking you as a church to do things. And it just feels crazy. And it feels like it doesn't make sense. But somehow in that doesn't make sense, you still know it's God speaking to you. Like you still know it's something he wants you to do because there's this faith element that kicks in. And it's like, well, what do I do with that? How do I now walk that through? And that's where I think Psalm 23 really helps us. So I'd like to just quickly just walk through Psalm 23 and, and just talk about it as a, like view it as a walk of faith. So, so Psalm 23 starts off with, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And sometimes that's what you need to hear. The first time when you're stepping out on a walk of faith is you just need to remind yourself that God is your shepherd. He is the one in control. That's what we always have to remind ourselves. I think someone was saying that this morning, like, God is the one in control. He is the one we follow. And that he goes, and then reminding ourselves, I lack nothing. I have everything in this moment that I actually need for this moment. I don't know about what the next moment has and whether I have everything I need for that. But for this moment, I have everything I need. And God, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And then it goes down, he goes, He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters, He refreshes my soul. Because when you're stepping out in faith, it can be scary. When you're stepping out in faith, you are stepping into something that's not seen yet. It's not here yet. And it can be scary. It's like everything just comes against you and it's like your mind runs against you and tells you, no, this isn't right. Like for me, it was like this is not a logical thing to do. For me, this was not even a wise thing for me to do. But but faith, I think, lives above wisdom sometimes. Yeah, it's like... You're stepping out in faith and faith requires courage. It requires believing in God. And it's like there's this moment of panic that comes in. And the first thing God does is he just goes, just chill. Remember who I am. He's like, I've got this. And he just makes you change your perspective and quieten you down to stop looking at what the problems are and to just refocusing yourself on looking on who he is because he's got it and he wants you to look at him. And then it says, 
He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. God guides you. He's like, I've got this. I'm guiding you. I've got you on the right path. And we can feel like we're on the wrong path sometimes, but he's got us on the right path. He reminds us, I've got you in the right place. And he will take us in the right direction. It says he guides us along the right path for his name's sake. And sometimes this is where conflict comes in for us because we want it to be for our sake. We want whatever faith step we're taking to be about us. But often it's not about us. Often it's about someone else. You know, we were singing this morning that it's work, he works everything together for our good. Like God wants to do something good for us, but sometimes it's not for our sake. Sometimes it's for someone else's benefit and it's for his name's sake. It's so he gets the glory. So we've got to get somewhere in this faith journey, we've got to get our eyes off what's good for us and we've got to get ourselves into a place where what's good for God because faith is a God walk. So what's good for God in this situation? And he will tell you. He has no trouble telling us things like that. But uh, he reminds us that, you know, our life, we were even seeing it today, we were bought with a price. We've counted the cost. Like there is a cost to following God. There is. Like um, salvation comes free, but walking it out, there's a cost. There's a definite cost. And sometimes that's when we've got to remember it's for his name's sake. It's not for our sake. We're not doing this for us. We're doing it because this is what God's calling us to. It's a tough call and we don't talk about it enough in the church these days. These days in the church we talk about how God will give us this and give us give us that and he'll give us a great life and he'll make us nice. But following, following Jesus is a lot more sacrificial. Following Jesus into where he's called us to is, is what he wants us to do. And the next verse is, even though I walk through the darkest valley. And then we're like, what? I've been following God in faith and now I'm in this dark valley. And it's very easy for us when we're in this dark valley to feel like we're wrong, like we've done the wrong thing. And maybe this is where, where you're at at a church, as a church. You feel like you're in this valley and that you must be wrong. But you're not wrong because in the verse before, God said you were in the right place. You're just in a valley because valleys change your sight. They change the way you see things. Yeah, so like I know, like, you know, when you step out in faith, it can just feel like everything's going wrong. But we've got to remember when we're stepping out in faith, we're stepping into new levels of something spiritual. We're stepping into something bigger than who we are. We're stepping into something. And the enemy doesn't want that for us. He wants us to stay where we are. So if we're going to take new ground, if we're going to win our community over, if we're going to, to reach people, if we're going to go to new levels in God, there's going to be opposition. But we interpret the opposition as we don't have God's blessing. But sometimes the opposition is because we've been following God's blessing. So I don't want you to feel like if you're in a hard place that you're in the wrong place. Because we can feel like that in, in church sometimes. We feel like everything's against us. Oh, I must be in the wrong place. I must be doing something wrong. No, because God has you in the right place. And the right place often takes you through the darkest valley because you're going into something new. And this is a journey that happens when we take a step of faith. Then it says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Remember, this is a God journey you are on. When you're taking a step of faith, you don't need to fear evil. God is with you, even when you're in the darkest valley. Even in the darkest valley, God is still with you. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I always think of God, well, I used to think of God up there with a big stick, uh, ready to tell me off every time. And God, uh, I guess, he says he has a rod. He does have a stick. But I think he also has a staff. The rod is there to discipline us and guide us for what we should know. But the staff is there like a shepherd. In, in Romania, we actually have shepherds, like you can see them out in the fields. And they, they always have a staff. And the staff is not used to, to whack the sheep. It's to protect them and go, no, 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 just move this way. Don't go over there. 
that you'll get hurt over there. And I think the rod is to protect us from what we should know, the things that God's already taught us and to discipline us with. But his staff comes along and protects us from what we don't know because God is in that valley with us. He's like, no, 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 there's a pothole over there. Just go this way. And we don't even know he's doing it sometimes. But he's just protecting us from what we don't see and what we don't need to fight yet, like God is in it with us. Then it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's like you have come through this valley, you have come through this dark place, and then he's got it there for you. He's got everything that you ever wanted. He's got everything that he promised. It's there for you. The table is set. It's ready. It's there for you to have. But then it's like, but I don't get it, God. It says it's in the presence of my enemies. It's like I've got a party. Why do they have to come? (laughs) And the reason is, is because you went through that dark valley, those enemies, they can sit around your table and they don't have any effect on you anymore. Like you can, you can be at that table in the presence of your enemies and you can stand and declare that God is good and know that he is good because somehow in your walk through that valley you've, you've come to understand that they don't have a hold on you because God's voice is bigger in your life. And suddenly in that valley you've been transformed. That's why there's a valley with faith because we need to be transformed because, you know, in a valley... What do you do when it's really dark and you're in a valley, when you need hope? You don't look along the valley and remind yourself how dark it is. You start looking up. And that's what happens when we're in a valley. We start to train ourselves to look up. And instead of seeing what's physically in front of us, we see what we see when we look up and we see God. And we see we've trained ourselves to see differently. And I think that's what happens in this walk of faith is we start walking through and we see differently. And God has something different for you to see. And then then it says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You know, it's time for celebrating. Like God has got everything for you. Suddenly you've been through this valley, you've been through this faith walk and you come out knowing that God is good and he's got you and he always did the whole time, even when it felt like he disappeared. And it says, and then you go, and surely your love Your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Suddenly you remember, God is good. He is Lord of my life. He has everything for me. He has everything for me and I'm just going to follow him forever, no matter what the cost, no matter matter what valleys I have to go through, I'm going to follow him. And that's what the walk of faith is. It's not like suddenly like forcing yourself to believe something. It's like washing your mind with faith and learning to see differently and learning to look up and to walk in something different. And that's how we bring the things that are unseen into the scene because suddenly we've seen differently. Suddenly we've changed differently. And and then it's not long before it really happens and you see those things. So So for me, four years ago... I dreamt, would it be possible one day to have a shelter? And then I met people like you who contributed and helped and suddenly now there is a shelter. But you know what? God is the God of more than we can dream or imagine. So now it's not like just a shelter. Now it's like, well, maybe we could dream to put prevention programs through the whole entire country of Romania. And now that's beginning to happen. And it's like... God can do more than you can dream or imagine. But if you look at Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it says, God will do more than you can dream or imagine according to the work that you allow him to do in you. And it's this faith walk. It's like continually walking through these valleys and continually walking through this faith steps of things that he asks us to do. Not like stupid stuff, but like when he's really spoken to you and really and you're following on and you're going, God, I know that you've asked me to do this and I'm going to do it. For me, the first time I ever had to do that, the very first time that I ever felt like God said something to me and I had to follow it, was when um, I was only about three weeks after I'd become a Christian and, you know, my mum said don't go overboard with it, so I did. And I went on a street evangelism team and I was like 
this shy little person. So I wasn't going to go and preach or anything. I was hardly going to go and talk to someone. But then there were all these street kids on the other side of the road and I felt like God said, I want you to go and talk to them. And I felt like, God, I don't know anything. Like I've never smoked, I've never done drugs, I've never done this, never done that. Like what do I have in common with them? They're the kids in school that I would never have talked to and they would never have talked to me. Like what have I got in common with them? And I just felt like God said, no, I want you to go and talk to them. So it took a step of faith. It took actually going because I didn't want to do it but I felt like God wanted me to do it. So I actually took a walk across the road and thought, okay, now I'm here. What do I do? I don't know what to do. So I just sat with them. I didn't even say anything to them. I just sat with them. And eventually they went, um, who are you and why are you here? And I said, well, I'm with that group across the road. And they went, well, don't preach to me. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't going to preach to you. Don't worry. And um, I said, I just want to be your friend. And they went, oh, oh, that's okay. And then we just sat talking all evening. And then we, um, we all got along so well that I arranged to come back and see them the next week. When I was driving to go see them the next week, I felt like, again, a little whisper, I felt like God was saying, I want you to buy some Bibles for them. And I was like, God, what part of not preaching to them did you not hear? <laughs> And I was, um, but it wouldn't go away. It was like that echo was getting louder and louder. So I went and bought some Bibles, but I couldn't see how this was going to work. So I left them in the car. And then I went and talked to these kids and caught up with them and was talking to them. And, and then one of the girls, she asked me, you know, well, why are you here? And I said, well, I go to church and I felt like God wanted me to, to do this. So I came over. She goes, yeah, I used to go to church and I used to have a Bible once and I lost it and I always wish that I still had that. And I went, well, actually, <laughs> I have a Bible in the car I could give you. And then and she said, yeah, yeah, would you write something in the front? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then um, I gave her one and then some of the others were like, oh, can I have one too? So I had to go back to the car and get more. But, yeah, I ended up giving like 13 Bibles out that night to, to all these street kids that I thought I could never talk to. And sometimes God sees more in us than we see in ourselves. And sometimes it's just that one little step of walking across the road on what God says to us that will get us to the other side. And sometimes, you know, in that walking across the road, there's a valley that we go through, a valley of how we think about ourselves, a valley of this is really God speaking, a valley of you can't do this, a valley of there's no way that you're going to succeed, you're going to fall flat on your face. But suddenly in that valley we're suddenly going, no, God said it. God wanted me to do it. And in that place we change our vision of what we see and suddenly we see something really different. So, so that's what I felt like I had to tell you today. I hope it's ministered to you. And I did really feel like when I came that there's something that you're going through that um, I don't know if that resonates with you or not. Like I don't know your history. Um, but I just felt like God's got something for you. And hang on to that glimmer of hope. Hang on to it even when it feels like you can't do it because God has something for you. And he's got great things for you. And maybe you're in the valley right now. But even when you're in the valley, God has things for you and he's just changing the way you see things. Not because he's given up on you, not because he doesn't have good things for you, but he's just changing the way you look at it and he's changing the way you see things. Amen? Amen.